3: talk about the vod and the silver screen kevin and tom and joe know all there is to know from masterpieces to deep fried tacos and if the movie sucks you might hear them say there's no telling where the guys will take you get ready for a spoiler won't say it twice because we're already
1: Broadcasting from the Lush But Not Lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude, this is Real Spoilers Episode 753, Weisenheimer, the <laughs> Mo Howard story. Mm-hmm. Joe is out this week, so we will go around the table officially this way.
0: Would you like me to start? Am I yes. enough of a regular that I can yes. just start right we'll off? we'll just let you start. This is Paul. This is Kevin.
1: And this is Tom. So Paul is kind enough to sit in because Joe is out this week. I, From what I understand, he somehow got it the idea that oppenheimer was a musical oh <laughs> so oppenheimer the musical he <laughs> refused to go it's see a it. bomb it's a bomb look
2: at that bomb yeah he he all of a sudden got sick when he yeah thought that we had to review the musical
1: so i guess before we dig in proper let's just do shameless plugs don't forget we're available on apple Podcasts, spotify google iheart tune wherever you find a podcast you can find us while you're there be sure and Follow us so you never miss an episode. Maybe leave us a review. That's always super helpful. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash spoilers. While you're there, like the page, join the group. It's called The League of Show Shares because we're hoping you'll share an episode. People who were kind enough to share an episode last week include Gus Butisi. Same. See, when Joe's not here, <laughs> his dad shares the show. We don't know why that is. We will let you draw your own conclusions. Gabriel Lugo, Glenn Cougar, Mellen Brewer, Chris Valls, Ralph Tribble, Travis T. Witt, Chris magic man tom dowdy tammy lynn powers betts phil time and heather sacks dissect that film brent smith christopher rex taylor ward julianne jordan edit photo gamer ryan terry vertigay 314 invasion of the remake spoiler piece theater mike mike and oscar the film b ronnie castle nostalgia cast Feel Film, geek to me Radio, Binge Movies, and Matt Naglia. So thank you very much.
0: Wow, your sharing list has gone exponential over the years. Yeah, it getting It's, it's great. great. Yeah, it's nice. Congratulations.
1: And we thank had you. a good movie last week, too. like That's yeah. Barbie they're yeah. all sharing, so people yeah. were very excited about it. That also seems to play a role. Mm-hmm. So
2: We're going to start having Joe do it in song form. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like, like how Dan used to create new songs yeah. for Unique. We'll do, new, hold, we'll yeah. do the uh, Pirates of Penzance, the yeah.
0: <laughs> I Am Them. Very model of a modern... Modern major general. Major
2: general. Yeah. We'll have him do that with it. They used to do that on Tiny Toons. Joe would get that reference, but... Yes. On Tiny
1: Toons. He would only understand that yes. as a Tiny toon. That's what... Yeah. Yes, it's a Tiny Toons,
2: a... yeah. So they did that where they would do like, I don't know, or or like the Elements song with Tom Lehrer yeah. when he would do that. So we'll have him do that with all the names. He'll assemble it the night before, so...
1: Sounds be great. <laughs> also, don't forget we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Spoilers. where for five bucks a month, you get bonus content, and we secretly like you extra except it's not secret and finally don't forget you can watch these episodes on youtube so there's all that let's dig in since there's no joe who has to synopsize this monster of a movie
2: you know i think this is one that maybe doesn't need to necessarily be synopsized <laughs> i don't think christopher <laughs> nolan synopsized this
1: kevin's say, not me
2: yeah <laughs> but it just it, the way that it jumps around in time and all that yeah. But I, I you know what i was thinking so this movie's three hours long and I don't know about you guys. To me, it did not feel three hours. Long. It, it did not. But y- you tell me. I think it
1: felt like it was a brisk two forty-five. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I like. I
1: like this movie. The way people are jizzing all over it, I don't get. I like, I think that it's okay. I definitely don't think it felt like a three-hour movie. But I also didn't walk out of there feeling like, oh my god, is it already been three? I didn't do that either. But, uh, so I got my work cut out for me, is what you're saying. I think this movie <laughs> is is not a masterpiece. I think there's a lot of there's a there's a, there's a lot of good stuff in this movie, and there's a lot of weird stuff in
0: this movie, and a lot of wasted time too. Yeah, Christopher Nolan is an auteur. Yes. Auteur is a French word means doesn't edit enough. <laughs> yeah, they, I, you know, that he, that he, he's is? the Judd Apatow of drama. And and the 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 frustrating part
1: is I. Think feel like he was really trying, right? Like, I feel like the first 45 minutes of this movie plays like a trailer for this movie. I, there, I, I felt like there wasn't one scene where anybody talked for longer than four seconds. It was just like you'd get this burst of like this happened and then now you're over here and this other thing
2: happened. Well, so the the reason and why I wanted to ask you guys that I think it didn't feel like three hours is the editing. I think that if you would have had people sitting in a room and it went chronologically and they're just talking and talking and talking, I think you would be like, man, this is long. Jumping around between... His point of view to Strauss's point of view to black and white to color. I to me I felt like I was keeping engaged. I was following it, but I, I had think to he do did little a little
1: work to he did a really good job, I think, of letting you know where you were at in time. Like I I was never confused when it bounced around right. in time about where I was at in time.
2: And there's a lot going yeah. on. So I, I think yeah. they did a good job and, and it kept you engaged.
1: I think he was trying too hard to have like take a historical drama and have like a twist at the end mm. like surprise robert downey jr's the bad guy
2: and i really liked it because i didn't i don't know that story yeah. I, i'm not super familiar with the history of it all obviously the cliff's notes of it but i, I didn't right. know all that and i didn't know about Strauss, and i didn't know about these hearings and the communist stuff like all the goings on and his affiliation so to me i was I felt like I was getting this kind of history lesson, but it was really engaging. I think Killian Murphy's performance was phenomenal. And honestly, everyone, this cast is stacked from top to bottom. I agree. But
0: when I say that he's not a good editor, I don't necessarily mean the film. I mean, he wrote the script. Right. And he jammed too much stuff into the script. I think if he hands it off to somebody else, they'll say, this whole part at the beginning with his first love, Gene Tatlock in which we essentially hired Florence Pugh to show her nipples in right. a couple of scenes. That's all she's there for. She's just in a couple of nude scenes. The sex scenes are that,
1: so weird in this movie. Yes. So, and, so weird.
0: And the whole story of his relationship with her, I don't need to know that. Get me to Los Alamos. or Start you, there. You can know that in a much more condensed
1: fashion. Like, you know, like, I. It, this movie's in a weird spot from its... Runtime standpoint in that I felt like it either needed to be shorter or longer like because when you start introducing some of these ancillary characters they have very interesting stories too yes. and I'm like I'm like this might have made a really really good mini-series. miniseries yeah, like, limited series on Netflix yeah like or nine or ten episodes yeah. where you can take one of these other scientists this week Edmund Teller right yeah and like go down that rabbit hole because there's there's some interesting things and like and there's some interesting things that get completely left out like I forget which guy it is but the the guy who they're working with the the radioactive ball and it's and it falls and he catches it Mm -hmm. and he's just like well I'm like I'm dead now yeah like and he's and he, he He's like, you can't touch this thing. And he's dead in two weeks. And he spends the whole two weeks basically letting them watch what happens when you get radiation poisoning. Mm -hmm, Right. Like he's like, because we don't know yet. So he's like, so he's like, okay. You're going to put me in a room and you're going to watch what happens and, and log as much as you can so maybe you can help the next guy. And like, it doesn't even touch on that story, which you do get in Fat Man and Little Boy. I'm glad
0: you mentioned that because before I wrote my review for my website, yeah, I went back and I watched Fat Man and Little Boy, which for those of you who don't know, Paul, Paul Newman, Newman plays John General Cusack. Groves yeah. and he hires Dwight Schultz face from the A-team. Who's, who's playing Oppenheimer, to run this whole project. And he brings in other people, including John Cusack and John C. McGinley and a bunch of other people. And it's a story about they went to Los Alamos and made a bomb. That's right. the
1: whole movie. It's like much. It's like the middle part of this
0: movie. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't mind what came after that in this movie, which we'll get to. But It's that first third, yeah. that whole... You know, him going through the academic history of where he was and the whole Einstein thing. Okay. I, I,
2: I See, to it. me, I, I don't know because this, the implications of what he did are obviously so unfathomable for a human to be able to reconcile with. And I think to show him to humanize this character so that we remember, well, this guy that created this, this horribly destructive, amazing, catastrophic thing – was a guy and then he had to live with that and I think the Florence Pugh stuff helps to humanize him but also they have to connect the story with the communism and the reason why they thought that he was you know that was like one of the smoking guns of like oh well you went back to see her and you're in contact with her a known communist and then also obviously her suicide quote-unquote was questionable because she ends up dying but she's like in front of the tub face down. And then they even show in the movie, like, he's picturing what happened. I think it's like a flash it. you see a glove or something like someone put her head in there. But it's not like you see the murder, you see him imagining, like, there's something weird about this going on. But you know, his great guilt over that, because then he blames himself. But then he has to reconcile with the death of hundreds of 1000s of people. And so I don't know, to me, there was a lot of connective tissue there. And I thought it was interesting. And I didn't know how the guy grew up. Like I, I didn't know what his trajectory was from just like when he's being questioned. The movie bounces between these hearings from after everything goes down and the government is trying to revoke his security clearance. They're basically trying to get him away from anything with the government. Railroad,
0: the word you're looking for is railroad. Yeah, and so
2: they're trying to connect him with the Communist Party and the woman played by Florence Pugh was a member and we see how – he met her at a communist gathering yeah and she was trying to kind of convince a commie him. mixer yeah a mixer. yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's a bold punch here's commie punch you know yeah.
0: we're, we're joking about that but there were a lot of men whose lives got screwed up because they tried to get laid right right <laughs> yeah. oh well i have to sign this and we'll go to bed i'm signing <laughs> anything yeah.
1: I'm 22
0: a, years old. What having, are you yeah, you? having
1: your life screwed up because you tried to get laid is a tale as old as time. Yes. It's, that's true. That is not communist specific. No.
2: <laughs> so, you know, we follow her and then obviously his great regret. Like, it just didn't work out between those two, but they had that connection. And I don't know. To me, it was interesting. I didn't know about his life coming up. And so I didn't necessarily, if they would have just started at Los Alamos and the Trinity test, like, I would have felt like I didn't know much about Oppenheimer because I, I knew nothing but else. I
1: feel like there was a way that they could relate those pieces of information to you without yeah. spending an hour doing it yeah. like I'm sure there is certainly. yeah I you know I was honestly more interested and appalled by them just dumping their kids off on somebody that they're just like you know what raising these kids isn't really for me you take yeah. them and like the movie's kind of judgment free on that and <laughs> yeah. I'm like
2: no, that's but he sa- I mean, Looney Tunes. But I mean, yeah, it is. But they do kind of show both perspectives because he says, Oppenheimer says, like, we're terrible people. Like, he says it flat out. I think the movie's telling you. And then the who is the guy that he drops him off to? Is it his brother-in-law? No, I think it's a friend. It's a friend? Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're and by friends. the way, how's
0: that, how's that conversation? i leave you to look after my kids for a while. Why? What are you doing? I'm yeah. going out to the desert for a yeah. special project for two years. Yeah. I, I thought you meant tonight. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: But, you know, it just shows, and he's like, you're not like everyone else. You're obviously doing, I don't know exactly what you're doing, but I know it's important. Like government work. So... I don't necessarily think the movie is like yeah cool that happens but like they do explain yeah this is extremely unusual circumstance you don't want them to spend another hour on that part either right so it's like
1: i would have rather seen more about that yeah to be honest like you know especially because i've seen lots of movies where the loose affiliations with communism come mm. comes back to haunt somebody right that's a very was not uncommon Right. And so it's like and maybe it's just an age thing. I've seen a lot of those mm-hmm. movies to mm-hmm. where I'm like, like, you can give me the bullet points. I got it. Like, I, you know, what I mean, like I I get as soon as I see him at a party with a bunch of communists, I'm like, oh, yeah. this is Chekhov's communists. Well, they like, just, I know what's happening. <laughs> they just did that
2: with Lucy and Desi or whatever that. Yeah. Remember? yeah. they just yep, yeah. there's the big showdown with all that right all those things in the 1950s
0: yeah. right the country was just the front with really allen yep. like that's
2: so just real quick to go over the cast though jay robert oppenheimer killian murphy again i think he was phenomenal i think he's great there's gonna yeah. be oscar buzz over his performance i love his
0: resting physicist face yeah
2: <laughs> sure. i mean but really he does look like a man that is dealing with some stuff like when you just see his face and nolan does a lot of close-ups and some of them resemble some real footage of Oppenheimer but when you see him just dealing with the inner turmoil about what he's done I believed it I thought he was always very believable and when he was frustrated about something or upset like it didn't seem too big you know he never goes big He his performance is very intimate and stoic yeah and and it never I don't know it was very believable and he's a great actor and but I think this may be one of his greatest performances I it's agree one,
0: one other thing about his performance yeah Nolan shot this whole thing in IMAX. Mm-hmm. And if you see it, you should see it in IMAX. So. Oh, I disagree. Say, so, Tom's got an argument. I don't think there's any reason to see this movie in IMAX. 40% of it
1: takes place in a conference room. Like, there's one scene, I think, that ma- that benefits from IMAX. The Trinity test. Yeah, but yeah. the rest of it is oh. just, is just like, they're in boardrooms and conference hearings and, like, in, in shabby, rundown offices. I'm like, I don't get the why people are like you have to see this in imax
0: tell us paul Why do you think i just thought uh, for the trinity test alone yeah it was worthwhile which is the explosion when they first tested an atomic bomb in the desert Mm -hmm. in in new mexico but also there were some amazing vistas of that area when they weren't inside all looking at a blackboard like like we're on an episode of the big bang theory (laughs) but here is the thing that i found interesting imax is not made to be used for close-ups it's for big, grand yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Nolan comes right in on Killian Murphy all the time, and somehow that works.
2: Could you imagine the size of that camera right up in your face? Those things are huge.
0: And it makes a lot of noise, too.
2: Yeah. I saw it at the Alamo Drafthouse Theater, draft house theater mm-hmm. and I didn't go to Los Alamos to... Oh, yeah. Uh, to see this
1: there. is why they say, remember the Alamo. Yeah. Because you can't.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw it on their the big show, which is their version. It's like the super screen, gotcha. the mega screen, ultra, whatever. So it wasn't IMAX aspect ratio, but it's a big screen, right? And aside from the Trinity test, there's a lot of visuals of like reactions happening, and it's like to... It's kind of like what's going on in Oppenheimer's head. He's struggling with all these chain reactions and this looming threat that if they set off an atomic bomb, that it may never stop because there's oxygen in the air. And so since oxygen is flammable, they had this question of if we set this off and this explosion happens, will it be a chain reaction that destroys the world? And so throughout his life as he's dealing with, you know, can this be done how can we do it? Should this be done? All that. There's these reactions going off. And and right from the beginning, they start. And it's like it made the movie more exciting. This is a movie about physics and chemistry. And, you know, and so he puts these explosions and these visuals. But I thought they were really effective in setting the tone of how anxiety-ridden this character would be and all these things going through his head. So anyway, but the visuals on the huge screen, they're like... Screen savers. You know, they're like these reactions, but, you know, at a micro zoomed in level and the sound is really loud and, you know, it's like vibrating your seat. So those things I think help, too. And you have to remember, also, IMAX is more than just the big screen. You know, that when you're going to see an IMAX movie, there's a certain calibration of picture and sound and clarity. So I think maybe even more so than than just the one scene, the whole movie, at least, you know, you'll be experiencing Calibrated in a certain way. You know, because sometimes you go to theaters, like the AMC that closed by us recently. Yeah. I would go there and sometimes the picture would be so bad and so faded. The sound would be like I was in a library watching a movie. Like, it would be so low and it would ruin the experience for I saw a musical that way one time and I'm like, well, this is...
0: I always wonder, it's digital. Yeah. You know, this is not like the old days where somebody had to calibrate the picture and calibrate the sound or the film gets run down because of so many... Because it went from yeah, yeah, it went from one theater to another right. and traveled. Well, and-
2: but the, the thing is with digital, this is just like at your house. Do you ever experience when you're watching a TV show and you turn the volume to the level you want and a commercial comes on? They're like, hey, na, 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 yes. you know, and you're like, blows you away. Or you go and you put on a movie after you've been watching a TV show and you can't hear any of the talking, but the music and the sound effects are like, yeah. you know, and blow you away. And that wasn't Hans Zimmer. He didn't do this movie, but I know that sounded a lot like a Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Ludwig Göransson, the score. Score is another thing where I know you're not like a huge score guy, but to me, this punched up the the anxiety and the excitement of things that were going on. And I thought that his score was phenomenal. Did you notice throughout the film?
1: No. my I thought the sound mix was rough. Like I had trouble. I thought it was getting dr- the yeah. score was drowning out the dialogue
2: a lot of times. Yeah. but right. I, And you saw it in IMAX? No. Oh you didn't. So no. see that's the problem and and I can't say for sure but this is the problem and, and why I've turned into this Alamo supporter is that you know it's a, it's a little further from me it's a little more expensive unless you get their season pass which is a phenomenal value it's the price of one ticket and you can see a movie every day f- for the month so it's like no brainer. But they just calibrate everything right. Not only is it a new theater in our area where the new 4K or 8K projectors, whatever they have, are so super crisp and the colors are amazing. The sound is loud, but it's all mixed properly. So when I was watching, I was thinking of you and you had made some comments and I'm like, yeah, there's some really loud sounds and then you know some quiet talking, but I could actually understand the whole thing. And I thought, if you go to a theater that isn't properly calibrated... That ruins your whole experience, but it may not even be the film's fault if the theater's not calibrated properly.
1: Yeah, I mean, Which I
2: don't i don't
1: know how i'm supposed to judge that like all yeah. i know is the experience oh, I, I had
2: that but yeah. that's that's the thing is so it, it going to the alamo now and i went
1: to chesterfield galaxy which is not yeah. like a rundown no 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 not like,
2: rundown but yeah. but they don't you know they don't have projectionists and yeah. i know there's a thing about alamo may also be going that way too where it's it's a shame but for now they have projectionists they have people that are calibrating yeah whereas at those theaters and most of them it's the manager going and pressing, scheduling the hard drive to start at a time or whatever yeah and so they don't check those things so i'm just saying that it is a little like for me it's i live by tom and it is a little out of the way it's you know further away and and more expensive but i'll tell you ever since i've been going the experience is phenomenal. So if you have an Alamo by you, like, check it out. I know Joe goes there, and he goes there every time now. And my other friends that I see movies with sometimes, Brad, you know. The Brad High and I don't know if that will throw off the – yeah, of yeah. the Brad High and Roll. He goes almost exclusively to Alamo now. So everyone that's gone, it really is a different experience. So sound and picture are so important. And I know that, like, for a movie that has a lot of talking, it's not like you watch this at home and you're going to totally miss – like this movie will work at home, but the experience I tend to agree with Paul, where it's like, if you see this on a huge screen, there just is something that you will not get. It just takes it to that next level where you're never going to get that at home, no matter how good your theater is when, with these visuals and especially the Trinity test, which is just phenomenal to mm-hmm. see that happening and, and all practical too i you know we haven't mentioned yet but they actually exploded an atomic bomb <laughs> don't think it was atomic but somehow they created this explosion in a way you know using movie magic where they did a huge explosion and nolan said he did nothing i'm, I'm he says no cg now i'm guessing there's some touch-up type things but nothing is fully computer generated they yeah. did not it, do a full scene it's that tnt
0: is. plus fuel Exploding. Yeah. And then he slowed that film down to make it even Looked more dramatic. Like a,
2: yeah. So so he really did, does everything in camera, which is something he's known for when we saw behind the scenes of like the Dark Knight, which there's a lot of crazy stunts and things, you know, and, and he had a plane like when they were doing the Dark Knight Rises scene that has a plane. They took a plane like a fuselage up and, and held it by a helicopter. But they did that in the air. Like Nolan is such a practical guy and it's phenomenal that you know we talked about Tom Cruise and, and Chris McCory you know they're still doing this stuff too but they're few and far between the guys mm-hmm. that are still doing the practical stuff but this movie for for those things there's there's not a ton of action but when you do see the explosions and the tests and everything I mean it looked phenomenal and it's all it's all practical so Killian Murphy's great but just to go through the list real quick Emily Blunt plays Kitty which is his wife I was
0: given nothing to do except one speech at the end
2: yeah, nothing up until
0: that point it's man. okay honey you have a good day at work
1: <laughs> and a very awkward reaction scene in a conference room
2: <laughs> yeah yeah throughout the film i mean it did show the struggles of like these people probably should not have had kids right like these you know especially if they're gonna just hand them off to their friends and and like clearly he was wrapped up in his work which he obviously had some very important work to do she didn't seem to be Into it, right? I mean, she was having a tough time with the kids and was drinking. They they show, I mean, clearly, she she was walking around with a bottle for most of the movie, showing Mm -hmm. that she she was dealing with some issues and was coping with them with alcohol. I mean, like that one time he comes home, I I think of when he says, I guess was it after the Trinity test? It's when one of the things worked, and she's like, Oh my god, yeah, you know, let's let's go celebrate, and he's and the baby's crying in the background, and she's like, totally ignoring it like it's not even phasing her this baby's just going on and on he's like shouldn't we check on him and you know she says I've been checking on him all effing day like he just won't stop and she walks away with a bottle which is a little heavy Andy but like (laughs) showing I mean she's just she's just not in a good place again
0: this is a part of the story I did not need
2: she does little things like that throughout the film just to show like what state of mind both those characters are in their marriage you know and and she's very good at it but she isn't central to the, the bomb test I mean obviously she's behind the scenes but you know, most people are there for the story of the bomb and the testing and getting the team together and, and all that stuff. So but really good in the speech in the end.
0: You ever watch the old original Law and Orders, especially the seasons with Jerry Orbeck? Those are, them? You mean the best ones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, I have. You know nothing about the personal lives of those cops. Yeah. Or the prosecutors. They never go into that sort of stuff. You just see them doing the job that's in the title of the show. What I liked is every once in a while you'd get like this little glimpse, like this. They'd throw you this little stray
1: line of dialogue. Yeah, right. Where oh, and, my
0: daughter's drinking yeah. again. Right, and then right back to and
1: yeah, it was you know. But yeah, you, you're you're right. By and large, it was not a show about the cops,
2: right? Yeah, but you guys it, never watched Law and Order and Family. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
0: law and order babysitter yeah i i just uh, there are certain stories that are compelling on their own yeah and you don't need to pad them with all of this sort of stuff i'm not saying that this wasn't an important part of the real robert oppenheimer's life but it doesn't have to be in the real robert Oppenheimer
2: movie (laughs) yeah i i struggle with that because i get what you're saying because there are movies that we watch where i'm just like move on to the thing but yeah. i don't know when there's someone as talented as nolan and i i think he's a phenomenal writer a phenomenal director you know clearly like you said there's no one giving him notes but when there's someone that good it's like when sorkin's writing and he's writing about you know and and
1: yeah but sorkin's written some real dogs too yeah i but, mean nobody bats a thousand but but and i'm not saying this is i don't think yeah. this movie's a dog but no. just because you've done one great thing or even Two, three, five great thing doesn't mean everything you do is going to be great. certainly.
2: But I mean, there are movie, there are films though that Sorkin has written that go long, and I was just going to say like, some t- they're not necessary, like a hundred percent necessary to the plot. You cut it, and you can still get the pretty much the same idea. You can get the gist of it, but because he's such a good writer, I don't know. I find myself more. Drawn into his writing and enjoying it, even though it makes it go long, even though you don't have to have it. But I think Nolan's the same way where I found these characters so interesting. And for me, it worked. It it humanized it in a way to where, I don't know, we see a lot of films where I ask, why should I care about these characters? Like, in this film, getting to know them and the history, to me at least, helped with humanizing them. I think he was really just trying to not
1: have a movie with a bunch of dudes in it. yes and there and and because you know and this is the problem you have when you when you do historical dramas mm-hmm. is like today it's 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 diversity driven and representation you know representation and like and that's yeah. and that's fine like I'm not complaining about that but when you go back in time and tell a story like a, a true historical right. story like that wasn't the way the world was constructed and so if you're going to tell that story accurately it's going to be, the cast is going to be 35 middle-aged white guys. Right. And there's just no way around that. And I think this was his attempt to get around that. True. I also,
2: the women in his life that right. weren't going to be in these rooms and right. in the they army. Were given and,
0: nothing to do. Yeah. That's the problem. Right. Uh, I mean, you get Emily Blunt, you get Florence Pugh, and then you don't give them anything hard, to do. It's hard right. to say, though, because at that point in time, women weren't
2: Doing right, the things. So they were doing what they were doing in real life, I think, but it was in the background of Oppenheimer's personal. In the background, going on. yes. But and they, you but know they, know they weren't making the bo- like they, they no, couldn't yeah, and really that, give and them. That's the, that's the
1: problem, yeah. right? Like, I'm not saying it's fair, yeah. But also, when you go back and tell the story, like how you know people today want, like, want and expect different things, and how do you give that to them when? those people (laughs) weren't allowed to participate at the same level well i'll I'll
2: tell you what comes to mind what i really really liked was so first of all to speak to the authenticity of the times and everything and i you know nolan is someone that is going to pay attention to those details i went and watched a documentary there's a lot of them but there's a new one on peacock that from 2023 and when they were going beat by beat and talking about stuff in oppenheimer's life and it was so close to the film, yeah. Where I'm like, Nolan, this is to me at least, not as a historian, not as an expert or someone that studies Oppenheimer, but watching the documentary and the real life stuff and the footage, and then watching the film, I'm like, holy crap, this, this thing is very true. To
1: I'm not an expert on Robert Oppenheimer, but from what I can tell, like this seems like one of the most straight historical, historically accurate films that's come out of Hollywood. Like normally they take wide liberties right and 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 this is probably like I think the only other movie I can think of that from what I understand is this historically accurate is Clint Eastwood's flags of our fathers Mm. like Mm. that is from what I understand is like is like dead on gotcha
2: yeah
0: so, Although I will say, Fat Man and Little Boy, which you mentioned, yeah. has all the same elements at the Los Alamos part of this story. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So so they did seem like they were following the historical yeah. beats very well. So I I appreciate that, and especially as someone that doesn't know a lot about it. like you, You hate to watch a movie about something you don't know about. And I mean like a i don't want to say fictional but not a biopic but you know it's about a historical event and then you're like oh now i know this is how it happened and then you talk to, and then someone, you find out that and you're it's like, not oh, true Oh yeah none of that stuff happened right. like i hate that so not knowing a lot about oppenheimer and before the bomb and after the bomb i'm glad to know that if you watch this film well sure i'm sure things are dressed up a little bit but the events that happened all seem like even the poison apple thing that seems like a movie thing i thought yeah he tried to poison his teacher he got mad at him. You know, he treated him like crap or whatever. And even though he admired him, which he said later, I'm like, wow, that's a weird way to show it. But yeah, but
1: he tried to, he tried to, but, p- you know, the people that you admire,
2: if they treat you like that, oh, you take that as like, uh, that's a much more hurtful. Yeah. Right. So but, they must die. Right. But like that story is a story that went around and even Oppenheimer's. A state or whatever was like, yeah, we kind of wish they didn't, you know, include that. But they're like, you're not going to tell Nolan what to do. But apparently, that's a story about something that he did. And he, like, when I was watching it, I was like, no way, that's a total weird movie thing to like. Oh my god! And it was anxiety inducing and stressful. Like, how is he going to get out of this? How is he going to do it without giving away right what he had done? And Niels Bohr, played by Kenneth Branagh, because legally Nolan has to have Kenneth Branagh in a mm-hmm. movie. That's just <laughs> the law. But he does a great job in this and. And he plays Niels Bohr, and he's there giving a, what would you call that, a symposium? Like a lecture. Or a lecture yeah. on whatever, well, physics probably, or chemistry. And afterwards, he's meeting with the teacher that Oppenheimer had put arsenic, was it arsenic? Some, we don't I, cyanide, yeah something cyanide. I don't know if that's arsenic, potassium cyanide into an apple. He injected it in after he treated him badly or whatnot, and he comes back and Niels Bohr is like, you know, juggling the apple, polishing it up, and and he definitely doesn't want to poison Niels Bohr. He didn't do anything to him, and so he ends up saying wormhole, and and throws it away in the trash real quick. But that was another one where the score punctuates all these little moments. I think they did a really good job of making, at least making me feel anxious. I was anxious this whole time with what was going on because we know how it's going to go. But as they're flashing back and they're working on this atomic project, you know, they don't know, right? Like they don't know if it's going to work. They don't know if they're going to blow up the world, kill themselves, and they don't know exactly what it's going to be used for. I think, I mean, what we're led to believe is that Oppenheimer thinks they're using this to deter war to to threaten war and then they end up and with...
1: I'm sorry that's dumb yeah. <laughs> when, he, when he's like but, but I mean he can be dumb yeah. right like you can be really smart in one area and really Naive, dumb right? in nice but way. when he's like you need to tell the Japanese they're not going to believe you yeah. if you're like hey we've got this really big bomb that's never existed
2: before and if you do something like they could send them the Trinity test right like there's footage of how destructive that's our small little okay but,
1: the, but if yeah. the if the country that in other parts of the world is best known for its movie making capabilities mm. sends you a film like you know what I mean True. like I, yeah. you know i just think that you're going to if you're the japanese you're going to bend over backwards to be like they are totally bluffing here i think which, I, which so I, you
0: invite them over for a weekend at the lake Yeah. right and then all of a sudden the water disappears right yeah, <laughs> yeah. well and I, and and to the point of the
1: japanese like i do find it frustrating that like there is really no part of the story that truly explores the impact that that had yes. in Japan.
0: Has there ever been a movie about how Japan came back after Hiroshima and Nagasaki? How they rebuilt the country and you know went on to be a leader in several different industries just a couple of decades later? I've never seen like like an American
2: doc- made like a, a like a Yeah, there, there might be
0: some documentaries. There's a really I'm good
2: sure one I think called
1: like White heart black sun, something like that. And it's, and, but it's more focused on what happened in Hiroshima and they're, they're interviewing like actual survivors yeah. talking about living through the blast and like, and the ramifications it had on it used. It was, I watched on HBO years ago, so I don't know if it's living somewhere secretly on max, mm. but who knows? Yeah. But uh, you have to go to Zaslav's
2: house, you have right. to leave a
1: tip under the door, <laughs> yeah. secret knock. But it, that's a fascinating and, just gut-wrenching documentary. But in terms of their comeback, I don't know. And it's probably hard to construct a narrative around how this entire country kind of pulls it back together after something like that.
2: Yeah, but I can't think of any feature that goes into like there's no famous one oh yeah that starred whoever like i don't know yeah but the documentary the oppenheimer documentary does go into that and you hear from survivors and family members and the destruction and seeing death and bodies floating bodies in the streets and bodies floating in the water and just yeah. all the terrible terrible ramifications but i get what you're saying because i hear some of those complaints but this was a story about oppenheimer dealing with but if that- he's-
1: but if he's dealing with the aftermath, then maybe you could have a passing reference to the math. Well, but he—I mean—but he does say that he killed hundreds of thousands of people. Like, yeah, but it's very abstract. It's not—it's not tactile like a lot of the other things in this movie. It's—it's very—it's—it's it's very much removed and presented as an abstract concept. Sure. It's presented as numbers. It's not presented as is his perfo-
2: and his well and his reaction, which I yeah. mean, yes, obviously. But it
1: still kind of ends up. Yeah. The I feel like the the end result is all these mil- you know, hundreds of thousands, and eventually millions of people died because of this. And like, look how sad it made this white guy, right? Like, that's kind of the takeaway of the film. And I, I honestly don't think that's what Nolan's trying to do. But by but by not addressing, even when he shows the effects of the nuclear blast, right? It's it's in Oppenheimer's
2: head, and you see it happening to a white person. Like yeah. that that that's not cool. The argument's valid. Yeah. I can see what you mean. I guess I just I don't know. I mean, and I think if there's if anything we will anything
1: I, we from Barbie the week before, yeah. it's okay to to like something, and even if there's something else that's problematic about it. You can still enjoy that thing. No one's saying because this one thing happened, you can't love Barbie anymore, or as a the doll mm-hmm. specifically. And and so it's like, this can still be a good movie, but that maybe it dropped the ball on that part.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how you tastefully show that without then, I just think Dan, if you do, Dan, if you don't. If they showed the aftermath, what are you going to make up, put makeup on a bunch of Japanese people and make it horrendous I mean it happened I'm not saying like you don't want to hide it but they do tell you it happened but I just don't know showing it I just think that you're going to open up a whole nother can of worms and then I think Japan's going to be offended and people are going to be offended. I just don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. Taste I feel like there's a,
1: a way to do it, especially with someone as talented as Nolan. Like, if, if there's yeah. anyone who can do it. But it just it just feels like the silence
2: on that issue is deafening. Okay. Fair enough. What was really powerful was Killian Murphy's performance, and like we've touched on before, but just dealing with the weight of his actions. I can't imagine being one person. Like, if you did something – like, he – again being torn up about his girlfriend who died and was ultimately because of him connecting the dots and that's one person and then you see that he's responsible for the death of hundreds of thousands eventually millions and the weight of that and how do you live with yourself how do you sleep and we see him being haunted by his actions and he's seeing death and destruction and he's anxious and stressed out about things and i don't i thought that was really interesting because i know that we all get stressed out by things and and even little tiny things and i just don't know how you even go on the last time i killed a
0: couple hundred thousand people i couldn't (laughs) sleep for like a week
2: (laughs) just
1: just a week i figured they had it coming strong constitution (laughs) there's hundreds of thousands of people i killed i was like well yeah wow he was in a position where he didn't really have a choice, right? Like, it is one of those times when, to me, it's like, normally these questions are very abstract, but he really was in the position where the fate of the world hung in the balance. Like, I mean,
2: meanwhile, I mean, we didn't mention it, but if you know the history, Hitler was working on yeah. an atomic bomb. Yeah, and that, that's a real thing. And Wait, and, turns out, not so much. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they were not even close. Yeah.
2: But they were... But if he said no and no one else could crack it, I I'm mean... I'm not saying he
0: should say no. Right, it's right. It's just, again, they, they make it seem like, Hitler's going to have a bomb Tuesday. We have the weekend. Let's get this but, done. Right.
2: But they, But also, you can't sit around and wait for someone to crack it over. They're like, we find out, we now know he wasn't yeah, as close. Yeah, I understand. But... If you're making those decisions and the same thing happens with all the generals and all the decision makers in Washington, all the way up the ladder. How do you make these choices when the fate of the world hangs? And it's like you can't rest. And you can't
1: also, you know, at the end of the day, it's his job to keep Americans alive. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, I know that's callous, but it's a war. And, you know, you know how many people they were expecting to die if they staged an invasion of Japan, like I sent Kevin an article about it. Like they made so many purple hearts for the impending invasion of Japan that never occurred, that they're still handing out those purple hearts to
0: this day from 1945. Yes, it's wow. insane. That what was it, the number? It
1: was like they have like a hundred. They made like five hundred thousand purple hearts, and we still have like a hundred and twenty thousand left. Wow.
2: So I mean, it's it's the, it, the that, tr-
1: That's insane. Like, so it's like, so he killed a lot of people. He kept a lot of Americans alive. Now he killed a lot of, civilian women children he wasn't you know he wasn't killing soldiers yeah so i mean I, like i'm not trying to be like so what you gonna do but um, that's all
2: the question he killed right right, so, right. Like, he he the
1: thing he invented killed exactly but no, but I, I nobody think... goes around saying you know we don't get a biopic about smith and or
0: wesson mm-hmm. how many people i've killed yeah, right right like it's yeah but 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 i i get it that he has that moral quandary Quandry, thank you mm-hmm. during and after at the beginning though i don't think he was thinking about that sort of stuff no i think he was thinking about it was a this, fun problem to solve this is a scientific problem yeah. that i i have the knowledge and i have friends who have the knowledge and we can all get together and we can solve this thing yeah and then halfway or three quarters of the way through it they started thinking wait a second if you actually use this right yeah. well i mean because matt damon it's comes- like in real genius
1: You end up with all that popcorn. Yeah. But (laughs) in Real Genius, they have that moment where they're like, well, if you're inventing this laser, what possible purpose could it serve? Yeah. And like, you know, and, and Chris Knight is like, well... I mean, it's not my job to figure out a reason for it. Like, it's my. They just said make the thing, and I make the thing, and we're like, but
2: they already have a reason for it, right? Like, yeah, but I mean, you know, that's why I think also the beginning part is important. As you know, yes, it may be a little bit drawn out, but it's I think to show that Oppenheimer was doing his his science stuff. He wasn't, it's not like this movie started Oppenheimer's like, I'm going to create the greatest weapon that ever existed. It's like, he's doing experiments and he's trying to figure things out. And then the war happens and they hear that Hitler's doing this stuff. And they're like, well, and they
1: had all these theories that nobody had the money to actually test. And so, I mean, you hear, him, what did they say? They spent like billion yeah. billion. a billion oh, dollars on this? Two billion. Was it two? Okay. Two. so at, at
0: one point, he says, I spent a billion dollars on this and I have nothing. That's Matt Damon. Right. Uh, that's yeah. my Matt Damon. Pretty good. In the yeah. end. In the end. So one it. review
1: said that they hired Matt Damon to play Matt Damon, but grumpy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't. It's not a far stretch from what right. you imagine Matt Damon. He's good, but it's like he's not yeah. exactly putting but, on a. <laughs> but
1: also, that's two billion dollars nineteen forty two dollars yeah. right like that's that's not yep. nothing
2: yep yeah but so robert downey jr is the other one that's going to be getting oscar buzz as lewis strauss and i do think it's interesting how they show like their relationship when they met and you see that you know they're both two jewish men and oppenheimer is embracing that he's jewish and you know strauss is like it's strauss not strauss he's trying mm-hmm. to cover it up and it shows like you know, the, the, I think right there is just like that little line is like the duality of these two guys, like how, you know, Strauss is going to be doing some underhanded stuff. He's trying to hide who he really is and coming to find out he's doing a lot of stuff, pulling strings behind the scenes that, you know, will end up causing the demise of Oppen- Oppenheimer, at least of his work and his clearance and all that. Robert Downey Jr. gets to act again like he used to do. He's not just <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Right. Or, you know, like if you haven't seen Chaplin from, I think that was 1992. Yeah. Attenborough directed that. And that's a phenomenal film. And he's it, just great. I think one of his best performances, but he gets to do a great performance here. Alden the iron rick the han solo the new han solo i can't ever uh, oh i can never say you know alden iron rick jason clark is one of the guys that's interviewing him who's really good tony Goldwyn is in it we talked about him he he showed up on that plane movie remember he was the damage
1: control am i crazy did david strathairn pop up in like a scene of this movie and like say practically nothing I, don't I could have swore I saw this. him in really? one of those conference scenes. Yeah, I didn't, I don't and, he, and I wondered if it was a cute nod because he's played Oppenheimer.
3: Oh. I think twice.
2: I didn't, I didn't notice. I didn't notice him. But yeah. James Darcy, Kenneth Branagh, just going through some of the names that I recognize here. But but then, you know, you have people like Rami Malek that show up for a second. Alex Wolf is is plays Luis Alvarez, who's like one of his students that starts working with him. Josh Hartnett is another professor at the university. Who else is on this? Gary side? Oldman is Harry Truman. Well, yeah, Gary Oldman pops up at the end as, as Harry S. Truman. But like you said, Florence Pugh. He's Jean- on a
1: quest to play... Every historical Every, <laughs> figure who was ever involved in World War II. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: No yeah. kidding. Florence Pugh played Gene Tatlock was the name of his, yeah. the person he was ha- had an affair with that ended up dying under these kind of mysterious circumstances that seem to be, they're alluding to, or government influenced. Matthew Modine is in it. Matt Damon playing uh, Leslie Groves, who t- t- who plays him in, in the movie you watched? Paul Newman that's and Paul by the Newman. way it's yeah. a
0: great performance okay uh, does he have a bad performance <laughs> yeah,
2: right. jack quaid is in this movie as richard Feynman. benny safty's in this he plays edward teller the grumpy guy in the back who was always like very matter of fact about working on this stuff but like the list just goes on and on and on like this is one of the most stacked casts where every scene someone would pop up that I didn't know was in this movie and I'd be like, Which I think in a movie, movie like this
1: it's important to stack the cast with recognizable faces. So you can differentiate there's all So these many characters are right. throwing at you and that it's a way to be like, even if you can't remember the name, you're like Matt Damon. Okay, got it. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. Well, Casey Affleck plays Boris Pash, who was like the guy that ended up kind of bringing down Oppenheimer, who is really against him. But, you know, again, we find out that there's stuff going on with Strauss in the background. Um, David Delmaschian, I can't ever remember his name, but he was in The Dark Knight as the police officer that, like, was the, the Joker brainwashed into doing whatever. But anyway, but he was in that. Nolan kind of gave him his start, and he plays, let's see, what's his character name in this one? There are a lot of characters, so it's hard to keep track of all of them. He's the guy that basically Strauss was feeding him the FBI file on Oppenheimer so that he could put in a report about why he's a communist. But
1: and Strauss is doing all this basically cuz he hurt his feelings. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he embarrassed <laughs>
2: him about something that he wanted to do. They they keep flashing back to this moment where Oppenheimer's kind of joking around in one of these hearings and Strauss wants to do something and he, you know, he cracks wise and and people are laughing and so yeah, basically he had this ulterior motive to take out oppenheimer this whole time and then eventually he's or throughout the film we see he's running for what is the he's position in the cabinet for, uh, for, for secretary
0: of commerce yeah secretary- for under eisenhower yeah. okay
2: so so he's trying to run for that and the whole thing is like him and iron rick or you know he's like one of his staffers He thinks he's got it in the bag, but they have to go through these hearings, which they say are formalities. They say no one since 1920 whatever has been denied a post on one of these appointments. So they said this is a formality, but some of the hearings have him sweating and they start hearing from scientists and all the scientists know that he railroaded oppenheimer so so they're you know giving some testimony which isn't looking too good this whole time he's like i thought you said i had it in the bag and so those moments i thought were interesting because they do introduce a little bit of that you know i'd call it courtroom drama but they're, it's yeah. not really but you know those hearings i think well because he even keeps saying
1: like he's like well what about this what about that and they're like this isn't a trial which like, we don't have to do any of those things it's yeah. not a trial
2: which was a nice parallel to the oppenheimer hearing yeah or, hearings or whatever they want to call it to revoke his security clearance because you keep seeing these mirror images. So as much as Strauss screwed over Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, you know, and his friends kind of end up doing the same thing to him because they're like, This isn't a this isn't a trial. Right. that's the exact same line they wrote in for that scene when Oppenheimer and his his lawyer or his counsel or whatever were trying to say things and they're like, that doesn't apply here. This isn't a courtroom. This is just a hearing. Like they're acting like, oh, we're just getting this on the record and whatever. But they're trying to put all this stuff on front street there like these notes will be publicly accessible or whatever they're on the record and it's a lot of evidence or a lot of testimony from people that are about that he may be a communist and it's basically going to smear his good name so that the scientific community won't work with him you know i mean at this time obviously anyone who's suspected of being a communist it would end them and so by doing that and that's the part I, th- I don't think I got a chance to say it but I think that is the part that Emily Blunt as his wife Kitty really excels in
0: yeah she has one good speech
2: no but throughout the <laughs> film though and what from what I understand with the way that Oppenheimer kind of became a shell of himself because he was dealing with all this the horrible horrific aftermath of what he had created was that Oppenheimer wasn't fighting these people that were trying to take him down he wasn't fighting All these people that Strauss, you know, lined up to, to, you know, get him out of there. And so she has lines throughout the movie where it's like, why don't you fight? Why don't you fight for us? They are trying to destroy you and you're just sitting there. And I don't know, I thought that made for some compelling scenes between the two of them because I think that is how Oppenheimer was. He, he was like, it was kind of like that, I deserve this, you know, like I killed so many people, I created this whole thing, and yeah, I'm going to just. I'm just going to take this. And she's like, no, you didn't. You were doing your job. And now they're going to take away everything from us and all the great things. Like you're a hero. Like a lot of people say he's a war hero. He's, you know, he saved the world, essentially he saved the country. And now he's being well, there's been like crap. this
1: shift in, in public perception, right? Like a, at first he's a hero where, you know, you see this in the scene where like he's given that speech after yeah. the, the bomb works and they're very excited. And then there's this period where, he kind of sees what it did, mm. and and the and then the country kind of shifts because they think he's a communist, and then people turn on McCarthy, and it shifts back, mm. and so and that's where where Strass gets hung up, right? Is that he did something that at one moment in time was very popular, and then five, ten years later, not so much.
0: Yeah, that those Oppenheimer hearings were nine years after the bomb. Yeah. And America didn't have quite the short attention span it does now. But over nine years, you know, they got into other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the Oppenheimer hearings weren't these
1: big public things, right? right? Like they were, it was in this little tiny conference room and all it revolved around was, I mean, he was never going to go to jail. He wasn't going to, you know, he was in no, no trouble per se. It It was was, just his security clearance, which would essentially
2: end his work,
1: right? So it's like, on the one hand, they could say, well, this is no big deal. It's just a security clearance, so it doesn't have to be a trial. We don't have to have the same burden of proof. And, you know, you're not really in trouble. You're just not going to have this thing anymore. Oh, but by the way, this thing is the entirety of your career and what it's based on, and you can never work in this field again at this level. But, you know, so it is it is a very punishing thing if he were to lose it. Yeah. But they can also distance it and say, well, we're not saying he's a bad guy. We're just saying better safe
0: than sorry because, you know, yeah. we love America. All right, let me ask you this. I thought that Robert Downey Jr. was very, very good as Strauss. Strauss. Did we need his story? If he's not Which in one? this movie, oh. if we don't have the Strauss character in this movie— how does it change? Well,
1: it's a very different movie, right? Because Strauss is what gives the movie I know this is gonna sound really dumb considering we're talking about the building of an atomic bomb, but it's what gives the movie stakes from a personal standpoint, right? Like mm. it's it's this is what's endangering Oppenheimer's career, and then you get and then you get the Strauss getting his comeuppance, right? Like this is the kind of emotional narrative that this movie's constructed. But about. I
0: think the communist stuff would have come back to haunt him without Strauss being the guy with the fork in the side pushing it along. I think that that hearing in 1954 happens with or without Strauss.
2: But I guess but it, you know, being historically accurate, I think no one wanted to tell the story of how he got railroaded and Strauss was the guy doing it. And so I and I do think that it gave it compelling emotional stakes, but also I think it's historically important also to show you how there's a line in the movie, and I can't remember exactly who it is that Oppenheimer is speaking with, but when he's getting the team together, you know, because he there's a getting the team together type thing with all the scientists and all the students and people from all over. And he tells one of them, These physicists, they don't want to work for the government. They're right. they're doing research. They're trying to they're trying to write papers and advance science and all that stuff. And Oppenheimer becomes the figurehead and is trying to enlist them and he's like why are we doing this and they're like don't aren't you worried you have these communist ties they're going to use that against you and all this and he's like no they're you know they need us and they're like until they don't right and which which i think is very important because it shows how people are chewed up and spat out they're used for as long as they're useful and then they'll turn their back on you. And he saved the entire country and maybe the entire world. Yeah. And then you have these guys in the government trying to take away his clearance and smear his name. And it's like that's the kind of treatment he gets as a war hero and and who Nolan refers to, and I think even in the film, as the most important person to ever live. And here they are nine years later trying to take away his security clearance. And they know it's BS. They know they're planting evidence basically against him. And so I think that's I, an important story to tell.
1: I think it's important for especially younger people to see it because I think there's this notion that like, well, we used to be better. And it's oh, like, right. It's like. Back uh, in the good old days. Yeah. And the, it's like. yeah,
0: Make America great again. Right. I, I back saw in this, the
1: good old days where we all had our own drinking fountains. Yeah.
2: I saw this with my grandma. And then afterwards, we talked. She goes you know, everyone used to refer to the good old days and look at under the constant threat of nuclear war and all that stuff going on. It's just funny. She mentioned the same thing, like the good old days, quote unquote. Yeah. yeah. David Maltian is William Borden is the character he plays. And he's the guy that Strauss fed him the FBI file. And the whole time, like, how would he get this file? Why would he have this FBI file? And Strauss was handing people the evidence to implicate him. Now, one of the other scenes I really like that follows throughout the film and is kind of like, like you said, like the, the reveal that Nolan tries to build throughout it is there's a meeting with Einstein and Oppenheimer and Strauss is in the background and he doesn't know what Oppenheimer says to Einstein, but you see this moment from far away and and the movie bounces back and forth. I don't know if we mentioned it, but the black and white stuff is from Strauss's perspective and the color stuff is from Oppenheimer's perspective. So he, Nolan doesn't use black and white and color for passage of time. Like Memento, he uses it where Guy Pierce's like trying to remember things and then it, it's present time and then it cuts back to the past and it's black and white so this is kind of a different narrative from perspective which i thought was interesting but we first see Strauss sees the oppenheimer einstein conversation and we see this replay over and over again and when einstein leaves and starts walking towards Strauss, he ignores him he doesn't even look at him and so this is another time where Strauss says Oh, that Oppenheimer, he's, you know, he has something out for me. He's turned Einstein against me, all this stuff the whole time. And then I really like it with, I can whatever his staffer says, like, what if they didn't even mention you? What yeah. if it wasn't even about you? Like, I think that shows how we can get so wrapped up in our own lives and how we're the main character of our story. And right. we're so self-important. And insecure. And insecure, what are they saying about me? I mean, that's something that everyone does. Like, it happens all throughout real life is like, oh, I bet they're saying something about me, or oh, I bet whatever. And I tell my
1: kids all the time. Yeah. You wouldn't be worried about what people are saying about you if you realized how seldom they did.
2: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's great. Yeah. And so I really like how the You know, this is just a classic story of hubris of Strauss and having this. Oh, he's got it out for me. He's got. You know, he's going to try to turn. He turned Einstein against me and all that. And really, it's a really good conversation. We actually end up seeing it. So in the beginning, before the bomb, before all that stuff. Oppenheimer came to Einstein with all these formulas that the Benny Safdie character, again, it's hard to keep track of all the names. For sure. But, you know, yeah. movie people know Benny Safdie. He plays the guy that was, I mean, they're all important, but he did the mathematics on the problem of if we have this atomic explosion, will the air catch on fire? Will the oxygen ignite? Will we'll it be- set
1: off a chain reaction yeah. that never stops? Yeah. And, and so destroy the planet.
2: All the physicists are gathered around like, oh, my God, this is huge. This is crazy. Like, is this really going to happen? And so Oppenheimer brings the formula to Einstein. He says, can you take a look at this? Can you run the numbers? Because we think, you know, whoever figured this out, and we think that it could possibly end the world. And so he comes. (laughs) I love
1: Einstein. I love Einstein here where he's like, I'm not really good at math. Yeah, Yeah. Like, I'm not a math guy. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, and I think that also it's kind of interesting because Einstein wasn't a part of this project right. because they thought that he was past his prime. There's that scene earlier, which they also mentioned in the documentary or something I watched, touched on it, but, you know, Einstein is was one of the greatest ma- mathematicians ever and when they ask, maybe Oppenheimer or someone asked him, why aren't we getting Einstein? He's like, he's the greatest mind of our time. And he goes, no, he was the greatest mind of his time. Like his time has mm-hmm. passed. He's not capable of doing this stuff we need to do. Yeah. And so, you know, they bring him this stuff and he's kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm not really involved in this. And, yeah. you know, you guys not so in so many words, but you know, yeah, this isn't really my strong suit. That conversation where by the lake, where his hat blows away and Strauss is walking towards him. It ends up, he basically says, you know, do you remember when, when I, gave you this formula and he's and einstein's like yeah of course i remember that and he's like i asked you if if we would set off a chain reaction would destroy the world and i think it ends up being like the last line of the movie and he's like i believe we did yeah you know and you know so not in a obviously it's in a metaphorical sense but right like, yeah we really did because we created a nuclear bomb and it may not have destroyed the world in a chain reaction of particles exploding and the world ending but you know now we have nuclear war so I thought that was a really cool scene the way that it played out in different angles and how it drives Strauss to kind of, he kind of drives him crazy against Oppenheimer and then to end up he wasn't even thinking about him and Einstein was just like distraught with the implications of what was going on and how the world essentially was you know ending not not in a literal sense but how now we're but in how this, it easily could yeah constant yeah. threat of nuclear war now people I mean go forward obviously the trinity test was amazing i don't know if you guys have anything else to touch on that but that scene was yeah, fantastic. that seems great fantastic and then obviously they end up doing what they do they drop the bombs he has a tense meeting with truman and i heard this was the fictionalized part you know this is one of those moments where you're like where he hands him the thing he's like i've got blood on my hands and hand I, truman hands him. i, I read an
1: article that said that there's been several different descriptions okay. of this meeting and but this is one of them Like this is that like Truman talked about it in his biography or autobiography and that and I just heard
2: the handkerchief thing was a dramatization.
1: What I read was that they're not sure. Okay. That like there are that I think that the question is is it maybe puffery by Truman, after the fact. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 that's but I'm... I think Truman did call him a crybaby, but not, or he said, he, I don't want this guy in my office crying or something I gotcha. like that. But I don't think he said it when Oppenheimer was in earshot. But he had no patience for the level of pussitude. Well, because, that- like, oppenheimer was displaying you because
2: know? i mean yeah truman's taking credit and he's like i just ended this war and i just saved the country and all this stuff and then oppenheimer's coming in with the and and also it's probably a little bit of insecurity on truman's part because you know oppenheimer created this thing they used but then truman had to make this call and i mean well, I...
1: you know you need the guy with the phd to build it and you need the guy that
0: barely graduated high school to deploy it right like
1: right like that's and
0: then, and then take full credit for it. You didn't drop the bomb. Yeah. I dropped the yeah. bomb. And
2: But he's right. You know, I mean. But that's also, I feel like, a little bit of chest puffing, too, where like, if Truman doesn't act that way, he's going to have to actually reflect on what he did, yeah. right? Because he did kill hundreds. I mean, he's saying, oh, I saved hundreds of thousands. But if he doesn't say that, he's going to think, well, I killed hundreds of thousands. And, I think
0: technically the bombardier and the Enola Gay dropped the bomb. Yeah. Of course, if he had chose not to,
1: what would that life have looked
0: yeah. like? Right. Yeah, right. And
2: that is why I think this film is so fail safe.
0: Good. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a good movie <laughs> with Slim Pickens riding the bomb down.
2: <laughs> I think that's well. That's Strangelove. That's, oh, Dr. that's *Strangelove*. that's not *Strangelove*. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry. Fail, fail safe,
1: safe is like the serious version of *Strangelove*. Right. <laughs> with <laughs> Henry Fonda, and, yeah. and, and Larry Walter, Hagman, Walter Matthau, and yeah. yeah.
2: I think the Benny, the Benny Safdie character, and you know he wears those glasses when they're doing the Trinity test. I think that. The main character, maybe it's the Peter Sells character, is based on that real life person or something. I read there's some connection between that character and why you get like those glasses, goggles, which are, I think, kind of similar to the Strange Love glasses yeah. that you always. I don't know. There's a connection there, but I didn't read enough into it.
0: I will say this about the Oppenheimer. I can't think of, aside from the imitation game, a movie that was about scientists trying to solve something. Okay, I'll give you hidden figures. Hidden figures is probably up there as well. Yeah. But if you take out anything to do with space, because mm-hmm. the Martian, I guess. you Okay, because I was to say too. Apollo thirteen. Yeah. But if you take out anything mm-hmm. to do with space, okay. Is there any other movie about science? Like, like there's, no, there's no discovery. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of smallpox. We're gonna get rid of nice. there's no Jonas sock popular yeah. movie or, or, or any of that.
2: There's a, this is not one that is on the level of those other ones you mentioned, but there's one that katie and i watched with claire danes about the person that was researching autism and she was autistic and she yes. invented a lot of oh the temple granger yeah, yeah. the temple granger, temple yeah, granger, granger. Uh, that, that,
1: uh, hbo movie that's a good it movie. was actually it was yeah. really good but it's yeah. an
2: hbo movie and i don't think a lot of people have seen it but that had a lot of science it wasn't physical reactions but it's a science mm-hmm. of i think that's maybe the closest that i can think of that was really good that wasn't space related
0: but there aren't many. Because before I went to see this, I was thinking about that on the drive to the movie theater. And I thought, who is this movie for? I mean, I understand it got caught up in the Barbenheimer hype yeah. and all that. But I said to myself, who is going to go see a movie about scientists, as Tom said, sitting around and talking? Yeah. But, man, a lot but of they people did. did. I a mean, huge it's, number. It's I'm, huge. I'm, I'm yeah. shocked at how many people have gone to see this. It opened to, like, 70 million, like Barbie thought, did 120. I thought it was 80. Yeah, yeah I thought it was closer to 80. I thought I read 80, I yeah. mean,
2: and. Because Nolan is one of the last filmmakers that opens a movie based on name alone. doesn't matter what it's about. You know, you see the new Christopher Nolan movie. Tenet only got buried because it was during COVID and people weren't going to theaters. But because you could point to Tenet and Tenet's his lowest critical rating and the box office wasn't great. But we were in very weird times. It was times. very if weird. Times. Tenet, I like Tenet. I thought Tenet was I a love, lot of fun. I love Tenet. I think it got just the whole situation because he was trying to get people to go to theaters during COVID and the whole politicized nature of it. Well, and it was like,
1: and it's like, it was kind of over but not really and i think
2: they thought this would be enough to get people back and it wasn't and people were mad because there were it it was clear that it wasn't completely over and people were still being cautious and he's like nope this is moving in theaters so he caught a lot of guff because of that and rightfully so i get the argument but the point is tenant is a weird situation that's an asterisk because it's real but other than that you know, Nolan opens a movie. It doesn't matter if it's about scientists and people showed up for it. Did you see what the second week? I heard the second week did really well. Let me see if I can find the. I have the Friday. I mean, Friday and its second week, it did thirteen point four million. So this movie's still making a ton. Barbie did thirty twenty nine million on Friday. Oppenheimer did thirteen point four million. So that's no slouch. No, for a second week, especially
1: uh, for a very
0: serious, yeah, somber for film, three oh,
2: like, hour science. That's a tough sell.
0: That's what I wondered about. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
2: But anyway, so yeah, there's a really... So they drop the bombs, that Truman situation happens, and really it's about Oppenheimer dealing with all this stuff, meanwhile cutting back and forth with the hearings, both hearings, the Strauss and the Oppenheimer hearings, and then come to find out that Strauss does not get placed. So he's the first one in whatever it was, 30, 40, whatever. Which is
1: very unusual. Normally, like... If the president picks you... I mean... Both parties, even today, yeah. as ugly as it is, both parties are typically like they play. the of- The president deserves the cabinet of his choice, yeah. right? Like it's like if that's who he wants to be Secretary of State, then that's probably who it should be. Like they, you know, they don't get they 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 tend to rubber stamp that and unless
2: you really have to do something yeah. to. You know, to make yourself not land on that cabinet. For sure. I was just trying to look up real quick if I had the weekend projection...
1: While you do that, I, yeah. you know one of the things that'll be interesting because I think Robert Downey Jr. will probably win an Oscar for this movie, especially because he's in this. He'll be in the supporting category, okay? And so he's a big actor, a big name with a long career. Hollywood loves him. If sure. he gets the nomination, I don't see how he does not win with a solid right? performance. Like you absolutely, can't, this isn't
2: that, necessarily gimme. No, right, no, no, but, not yeah. at
1: all. But at the same time, like in another set of circumstances with a different actor, I don't know that it's that it's. A, a foregone conclusion, but he's checking all the boxes, yeah. right? So if he wins this Oscar, he will be, to the best of my knowledge, the first SNL cast member <laughs> to win an Oscar. Wow. wow. Yeah. Like that's no like he's he I believe he was the first ever nominated. People forget that he was on SNL, but he, a
0: horrible season,
1: horrible, that. maybe the worst. I mean, it's like between that and the the Gilbert Gottfried. year. The, yeah, I was gonna say Charles Rocket, but same season. Yeah, yeah. with when Jean Dumont took over, right? Yeah.
2: Tina Fey has a Tony and Golden... I don't. I guess she had never gotten an Oscar though. She's got no. a lot of awards, but I guess not a.
1: Yeah, I'm sure she's got an Emmy, she's got an Emmy and, a and, a Tony, and a Tony, but
2: but she's not an egot. Yeah, okay. and so
1: yeah, so if he would be the first SNL cast member to, to win an That's interesting because
2: you know there's so many comedians that have taken the serious route in their later years, and and I put mean in- Dan Aykroyd
1: was nominated for was he nominated for. I think best, best supporting for Driving Miss Daisy because he like he had a real yeah. good shot and Bill Murray's been nominated a couple times. Right. I'm just so, so I'm yeah. so
2: surprised, and especially you think like Bill Murray might win for a Wes Anderson movie or something like right. to eventually to you know I, that's really interesting to think about that it hasn't happened because there's been so many. Great actors to come out of SNL. Yeah. I mean, even Sandler's put in great performances, Yeah. like Punch Drunk Love. Sandler's done some serious stuff, besides the goofy gems, stuff. Yeah. Uncut Gems. Yeah, there's the other one. So Rob Schneider. Deuce. Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> Is that, was that? He was just How about nominated. this?
0: Has there been anybody who played a superhero? Not counting Heath Ledger, who was the villain in a superhero okay. movie. Has anybody who played a superhero gone on to win an Oscar? Not for that role, but just for gone anything. on
2: to hmm. an Oscar.
0: Did Michael Keaton get one? birdman oh that's a good question know,
2: did he win the oscar i know the movie i know the movie best did. picture
0: yeah
2: okay you'll have to look that up so box office we'll jump around here for a second so barbie and its second week 88.6 million barbie had the highest opening of the year the highest opening ever for a female director and in its second weekend only took a 45 percent drop yeah and with- by
0: the way any other movie 45 percent drop off that thing's dead <laughs>
2: Forty five percent drop off with eighty eight point six million this weekend. Oppenheimer in its second weekend, fifty point eight million, a thirty eight percent drop from a huge opening as well. Wow. Haunted Mansion opened to twenty eight point eight, so half of Oppenheimer in its second week. Mission Impossible in its third week, is it? Thirteen point three million, which is a thirty one percent drop. So I mean, yeah, it's it's dropped quite a bit. I think it's but, the fourth weekend. Oh, is it its fourth? Yeah, I think there now? were two
0: weeks between Mission Impossible. And Oppenheimer, Barbie. I okay, think. so I mean, yeah. So it, it, it
2: third so or what's coming
0: up soon? that will knock these two off the top.
2: The Ninja Turtles movies next week, and it's going to be huge because that's going to be a nostalgia, kids, all that stuff. If Barbie had eighty eight point six million, I'm trying to think, what would it do if it dropped another half? Let's say forty million. Would Ninja Turtles open higher than forty fifty? It's a kids movie. It's a big property. I think it probably will. I think Ninja Turtles will be number one. Hmm.
1: Michael Keaton did not win. He was nominated for an Oscar and won the Golden Globe, but he did not win for Birdman. I didn't think he did.
2: But yeah, so that's really interesting trivia. I've never seen. Can you watch Robert Downey Jr. on SNL? Are those All the seasons are out
1: there. Yeah, I think
2: so. Oh, all seasons are Mm -hmm. out? Yeah. Okay.
1: All on Peacock. I guess I thought yeah. there were
2: some they buried in those foul years that you couldn't that they didn't stream or whatever didn't release on home video. But I want I just want to see it because I I've heard horrible things. But yeah, never... it's bad. It's
1: <laughs> was bad. was Randy
0: Quaid in the cast that year.
1: Yes, he was. He so that was the year. So they had just they were coming off the year where they did they brought in all ringers right. Billy Crystal, Billy Crystal, Harry Short, Shure, Christopher Shure, right, right. Guest. Yeah. So they bring in all ringers and then and but they but all those guys did it and they they all were very successful. They they didn't need to do this show. And so the idea was, well, we'll do one just because we've always wanted to do it. Yeah. Right. And so we'll do one and done. And so when they couldn't re up any of them, they were like, well, let's bring in ringers again. And Mm. so they brought in Randy Quaid, Anthony Michael Hall. Robert Downey Jr. Joan Cusack. Joan or, Cusack. Yeah. They Was this uh, a
2: Lauren Michaels year? No. He, so this is when he was so, gone.
1: So Damon Wayne's? What he this was he was not a name yet, but oh. and so
2: pre pre in Living Color?
1: Yes. So he famously breaks character in a sketch. And gets fired. Maybe Lorne Michaels was there for the Randy Quaid. Yeah, so. I think after
0: the the Billy yeah. Crystal, et cetera, I think that was the last of those five years that Michaels was away, and then he right. came back and brought. Yeah, those because I in.
1: remember Lorne Michaels is mad because it gets mad because Damon Wayne breaks okay. character and yeah. he fires him mm. in mid-show. Jeez. And and supposedly Damon Wayne did it because he wanted to go to Living Color
0: oh. because he wasn't getting
1: screen time there anyway. Right. Okay. And so he's like, "Well, I'd rather go do this show where it's going to be, you know, it's going to be more." black driven and and i'll get more screen time Made the right move for yeah and because the homeboy shopping network actually started as a sketch on snl it was him and anthony michael hall and he was
2: able to take it with him it
1: always amazed me that 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 they let him do that. Yeah. I wasn't sure how he got away with that,
2: especially if it ended on bad terms. For sure, I like think. But
1: but you can see a version of that sketch yeah. with him and Anthony Michael Hall. In fact, I think they did it a couple times. Okay. But but yeah, that that season is awful. But yeah, they bring back in Lauren Michaels and I think now that I'm I think Lauren Michaels was like they were coming off such a great season. He was like, "Well, I'll emulate that because if I bring in nobodies, they're going to get They're going to expect names." Yeah, and um, then and then when that season, the bad, then he brings in like he goes back to rebuilding a cast with with up and comers from scratch. And that's the Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Jan Hooks, Nora Dunn, John Lovitz, John Lovitz. And I think John Lovitz had been. He's one of the few people that carried over because um, John Lovitz yeah. had been in that Randy Quake because I think you saw the. The devil character pop up a couple times that season, okay. but, but yeah, almost everybody else got blown out.
2: Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, so I I think that you know the movie ends with with some great dramatic scenes with the courtrooms. I I kind of like that. Strauss, I I kind of like they gave you a bad guy. I think that I think that's something that you know for moviegoers to relate to. It really happens. So we talked about. I think it's yeah. important for the story it gives you someone to root against. They have that good scene at the end where his staffer iron reich is is kind of like you know screw you go on out like the the press are all there and he comes in and he's like did i get it and he's like i didn't get it you get to see his defeat so you get that kind of comeuppance for him yeah i i I really enjoyed this movie i i it was long but i never looked at my watch you know i didn't it didn't feel long to me at least that was interesting i felt like i learned something too I know I made fun
1: of the runtime a little bit. I have to say, in fairness, I did a true b- Barbenheimer, so I had seen Barbie yeah. immediately prior. So, Okay. This was That's a long day for five you. hours of movies. <laughs> wow. But but overall, I liked this movie, but yeah. I don't think it's this flawless masterpiece that some people are proclaiming it.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I don't think it's great either. I think it's okay. I think I gave it a 6.5 um, mm. out of 10 on my website. You know, it's not horrible, and if people go to see it, they're not going to walk out of there going, that was a waste of time. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to come out, oh, Christopher Nolan is God. I think it's just, it, you know, this
2: this happened so long ago. I mean, when you look at the numbers, it doesn't seem that long ago, and, you know, people are still alive from the era, but it also was a long time ago. Like, for someone even my age or my son's age, I mean, it's so far removed that people can't really understand the whole, you know, being under n- nuclear threat and all the stuff that was happening. And, you know, now we know we just we have wars and weapons and all this stuff is so futuristic now. But like back then, I mean, this stuff was getting invented. And I don't know. I think it's an important film to understand how the world changed based on what Oppenheimer did and the decisions that we made. And I it seems like an important movie. So I'm glad it's made. And you have someone like Nolan that because his name's attached to it, people will see it. You know, you're not going to, this isn't a little art house movie. It's not one of those where it's just going to run the art house circuit because Nolan's attached. It's a big movie. We should mention too, a hundred million dollar budget, right? Like for movies these days, you know, they're always talking about how movies have a 200, $300 million budget and they're losing money. Look what happens. You give Nolan a hundred million. He's a guy that comes in on time and under budget consistently hundred million dollar budget opens to 80 50 million second week you know i'm sure we'll have a strong third week it's like keep those budgets you know in the so mid i think
1: you're going to see level more and more of that i th- i think if that they want
2: to have movies and theaters well i, to, I think
1: know? they're seeing that it's getting harder and harder to put out i was gonna say a mediocre movie and make a ton of money but it's even hard to put out a good movie and make yeah. a ton of money and i think that you're going to see budgets really tighten up on movies i I saw an article just the other day. They're saying that a Dungeons & Dragons sequel is not out of the question, but they were like, we got to figure out how to make it cheaper. They're like, if you want to do another one of these, you you got to wow. bring those
2: costs down. So I didn't even realize that one had that big of a budget, but they I, to I don't think less. it did. I think right. it had like a
1: hundred million, which okay. is in today's world for a movie for like a that. A big fantasy It's not that. But they said th- that yeah. they think if, you know if they can get it down to eighty, okay, because so they, it ended up breaking even. Yeah. And So they were like, if you can get this budget down, and make know, a good sequel, I can right. tell you that
0: 1989's Fat Man and Little Boy was a bomb. I don't mean yeah the bomb yeah like, it did not do well at all yeah. no it didn't Um my question is what was the last non IP movie you know a movie not based on existing intellectual property I know this is based on a book but that's not what I mean I right no it's you, you know Mission Impossible Barbie uh, is an IP Barbie right uh, Marvel obviously is all you IP. know Indiana Jones all the superhero movies all of that has there been an original movie that did anywhere near this in years boy I really have to think like i i mean everything everywhere all at once oh yeah uh,
2: was is probably the most recent i can think of because that is very original yeah now i don't know after the oscars and leading up because of the oscar buzz i know that it was like re-released and in more theaters and went wide after it was getting the buzz so you know it didn't have a huge opening but it, it did have one of those that it, it had legs that was a it. big hit but, in a yeah. but but i don't not it didn't make this much, but no. for its small budget, remember, that's an A24, you know, right. so they do pretty small budgets, and it made tons. Like It was a huge multiplier on its budget. So
1: I mean, I know it's a sequel, but it's a sequel to a non-existing IP, but Avatar, I mean, he yeah, created way. that from whole, whole cloth. Mm-hmm. But if you look at 2022, the I think the first movie that's not off of a pre-existing IP comes in at number 14. It's Nope. Hmm. You have... At number okay. one, Top Gun, Maverick. I'm just going to go and starting at number one and work backwards. Uh, top Gun, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Avatar, Jurassic World, Dominion, Minions, Batman, Thor, Spider-Man, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> now That's the top ten. El- coming in 11, Black Adam, Elvis, which I think you could argue is an IP right, yeah. <laughs> at this point. Uncharted, which is a video game, in case you're unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. I'm not. And then Nope. Comes in at 14. Lightyear at 15. Smile at 16, which is a horror movie, but is an original as far as I know. Okay, The Lost City, not an IP, but it's basically a remake of Romancing the Stone. And then Bullet Train, which is not an IP, but is a John Wick knockoff oh yeah (laughs) and so bad guys so you start to get into some non-ip stuff but
0: bad guys the animated yeah that's a book is it a book oh okay okay. it's a book you know what i give him a pass if it was a book yeah because book (laughs) to movie is so different from movie to sequel movie for sure
1: or comic book to movie yeah yeah but yeah fantastic beast dc league of super pets and then 22 where the crawdads sing which is also a book book, but black phone
2: Black Phones original. I mean, well, I and mean, that's a short story. It was a short story. I would say it was a book. It was a but short not, story. But, I, but would you call that an IP? That's not an IP, though. No. Not an IP, yeah.
1: I mean, that's like saying To Kill a Mockingbird was IP. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah. Sing 2, Scream, Morbius. I mean, almost yeah, everything. All, yeah, everything. Almost
2: is, everything. Which is why, like, Head Scratcher, why do they just make sequels? And, and you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like,
0: you know, for the business. Well, uh, there's two sides of that. One is that's the only thing that's in the theaters. And the other one is, well, we tried to make middle level comedies, and nobody went shows. to see nobody a $30 to see million it. movie. Yeah.
2: So, Everything everywhere all at once had a fourteen point three to twenty five million dollar budget, so we'll call it twenty five million we'll we'll just say yep. that was what it was so it opened Its its domestic opening was only five hundred thousand right so okay. very small opening it's the art house movie limited opening yep. five hundred thousand it ended up with seventy seven point one million domestic sixty four million overseas one hundred and forty one point two million. On a twenty-five million at the highest budget, yeah. so you know sometimes they, they they take off like that, and so that's probably maybe one of the most ex- successful. Yeah, that's returns. a great example. Yep. Yeah, but but again, like money wise, like to make hundreds of millions of dollars off original IP, like it didn't break two hundred million, and Oppenheimer in three weeks will break two hundred million domestic without Actually, the benefit of
0: hot dog fingers.
2: <laughs> yeah, that right which I mean yeah that's just make everything better but yeah i I think it's great that when when a director of Nolan stature can attach his name to an important film and a, a film that has so much to do with the world we live in and a historical significance can attach his film and again elevate it from this is a really good art house story that is important to now you've got A lot of people seeing this and a lot of people that maybe never knew anything about it i i mean i guarantee you know kids teenagers 20s they're showing up to see a nolan movie and i bet you they know nothing about the history of this right it it
1: seems unlikely yeah
2: yeah so i mean that's that's what's cool is that they that he can do this and you know because he could just make more batman movies or tenant or his original ideas but like he thought this was important to tell
1: yeah back to snl real quick it was season 11 okay it is available on Peacock. Okay, wow. And there were a couple cast members that carried over into the next year: John Lovitz, Nora Dunn, and Dennis Miller. Uh-huh. Were all in that. Hmm. Damon Wayans was a featured player, but not a full cast member. Gotcha. Okay, so but I and but and, but yeah, it is all available on Peacock if you want to go check it out. So, and it was really bad. Yeah. Oh, I should also say, in terms of SNL history, it's the fir- That is the season with the first black female cast member Denitra, Denitra Vance, Denitra Vance yeah. who I think out of that season has the best sketch called That Black Girl And it was a parody of the show, that girl. (laughs) Yeah. And for people that aren't familiar with that girl, it was a show from the late sixties starring Marlo Thomas as a single gal in the city. And it always had a cold open and the cold open always ended with somebody being like, Oh, you know who we need? We need that girl. And then they, the camera would zoom over on her and like, and it'd be like her doing something cutesy and then opening credits and off to the races. Yeah. Okay. And the premise of this sketch is like, she's auditioning for a, for something and they're like They're like we need that Girl and then, and then like nothing Happens like you're expecting the camera To do all that nothing happens and it's Like all white girls and Denitra Vance and then they're Like which girl would that be The the, the one on The end that girl Ugh. and Then nothing happens <laughs> and, and, yep. and then it's like I'm sorry I, I, I don't know what you mean the 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 one all the way to the end the Cute one the bubbly one the Oh, t- okay, that that black girl, and then like the camera does all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really, and like she wrote the sketch. Like yeah. it's not like right. Yeah, like, right. It's it's a, it's the highlight of that season. Was okay. Terry
0: Kenny in that cast also? Ter- I think he was the first out cast. member. Oh yeah, on yeah. S- yeah. Terry Sweeney.
1: Terry Sweeney. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Terry Sweeney. Yes, he is in that that season as okay. well. Because yeah. I remember he has he does a sketch where. Oh no, that's the season that Ron Reagan Jr. is on. And mm-hmm. they do a parody of risky business like like Ronald Reagan's gone and he's in the White House dancing. Yes. The, yeah. <laughs> in the shirt and the underwear. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, so uh, we are off on a tangent, yeah. which is what we do. So. Sure. So anyway, that's it for this one. Let's go around the table and everyone can say where to find
0: them. This is Paul. You can find me on my website, harrisonline.com. This is Kevin. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R Brackett.
1: And this is Tom. You can follow me on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Tom O'Keefe. You can find the show online at Facebook.com slash Real Spoilers. While you're there, like the page, join the group. And, of course, don't forget our YouTube channel where you can watch all of these shows now in color. So uh, that's it for this one. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, Norman St. Savage clones his favorite seamstress.
3: Get ready for don't say it twice, cause we already warned you.